Welcome to The Rock Fight, where we speak our truth, slay sacred cows, and sometimes agree to disagree. I'm Colin True. Today, we're lobbing a few stones at efforts around diversity, equity, and inclusion in the outdoor industry. DEI is something that our industry claims to be invested in, but often has had a tough time finding a way to create real changes. My guest today is going to do their best to help provide a roadmap. But before we get to that, head to GearTrade.com to celebrate the waning hours of secondhand September and enjoy the beginning of the Rock Fight's takeover of Gear Trade's blog. So, after you shop and request a box to send Gear Trade your unwanted outdoor gear and apparel, click on the blog to see what the Rock Fight has in store for you. GearTrade.com, your home for unnew outdoor gear and apparel since 1999. All right, let's start the show. For all my chatter on this show about what the outdoor industry needs to do better, I haven't yet touched the ongoing issue of it being perhaps the whitest industry of them all. I mean, we're talking about a world here that is literally defined by skinny white men standing on top of mountains. And being a skinny white man who has stood on his fair share of mountains myself, yeah, this is not a topic that I should even think of taking on in a solo pod. Luckily, one of my best friends, Darren Josie, who is in fact a real-life black person, is taking on this topic professionally, and he's here on the show today. Darren's history in the outdoor industry is familiar to many of us. He started in retail before working his way up the ranks at outdoor brands like Topo Athletic, Vibram, Polartec, and Nemo. And recently, he started First Seed Sewn, a company focused on supporting the black, indigenous, and people of color community. During our conversation, Darren talks about why the outdoor industry just can't get a foothold on this topic. He gives examples of the success First Seed Sown has achieved to improve representation in the outdoors and offers tips for brands to make immediate impacts to their DEI initiatives. Welcome back to The Rock Fight. I'm Colin True, and today it's a rock fight between the outdoors and diversity with my guest, Darren Joseph. All right, so we're here with Darren Josie, who's an outdoor industry veteran, founder of First Seed Sown, long friend, longtime friend of mine. Darren, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Colin. Really appreciate being here, and I have a, a lot of respect for what you're doing here. I think it's it's been missing in our industry. Uh, I know you and Justin have kind of touched on this, but dude, independent journalism for our entire society has been. Uh, declining. It's been hard. I feel like we've all enjoyed or found a really good podcast and went deep on something. But <laughs> I look at our industry, and I mean, you guys touched on it before. There's there's reporters can't really go deep on something, can't do something that's going to ruffle the feathers of a dwindling list of advertisers. So what you're doing here and and picking some of those fights and throwing those rocks are are really important. Um, I think. For this industry to continue to evolve and be successful, we need more outlets bringing up concerns, having real conversations, getting things out there and not be worried about like, well, there goes my money. Like, <laughs> So I think you you sit in a very um, uh, advantageous position as someone who spent many years in the industry, working mm-hmm. the floor to, to, to running brands to now as someone who, you know, you're not getting paid by the industry. So you can say what you truly believe um, and have out there. And I feel like I'm recently starting my company in May of this year, um, feel somewhat similar that I can actually say some of the things that I've always wanted to say and feel um, and to, to make the industry better. Cause I, I don't want to leave. I don't want, you know, I, I don't want everyone going to work for banks. I think our best <laughs> and brightest should be trying to go for the outdoor industry in my opinion. 
Well, that's all the time we have. We got that compliment out of the way. And uh, no, thanks, man. That means, that means a lot. Thanks for, thanks for listening to episodes and, and bringing that perspective on. I guess it, it definitely has taken too long probably to get to this topic, which is another problem with the outdoor industry is that it's it's mostly white folks that we get to talk to here. So that's one reason why I wanted, really wanted you to come on and talk about a kind of str- of a struggle, you know, for the the industry and varying attempts to kind of get over the hump on this. I mean, it's been an industry that's been forever defined by the skinny white guy on top of the mountain. You know, and I was standing w- there with you uh, at outdoor retailer. I forget when it was like early 2010s and they had this big old banner in the salt palace that was supposed to represent all the different types of people who are in the outdoor industry. And they had like a hiker and a biker and a paddler and whatever. And then, and all the faces were white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it was right by the OIA's, OIA's booth. And as I recall, I think you had a few choice words. Do you remember, do you remember that? Oh yeah. It was, the OIA was dropping off a little table toppers to put it at our, at our booth. And they literally oh, like, hey, right. like, Oh, well, you put it on the front desk. And I looked at like the part that they gave me. And I was like, are you, are you serious? Like I, I am a proud black and Puerto Rican man. I'm like, and I'm a rock climber, a surfer, a snowboarder, a hiker, a camper, a trail runner. I'm like, are, are you seriously giving me this thing to put on top of my booth and say like, we did it. Like everyone's here. Like it was like, the epitome of like short-sightedness. Like, cause it was truly the messaging was like, look at us all together. And it was just like white, 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 white down the line. It was insane. Yeah. Yeah. I did. It, it was, it was shocking. I, but I think. You know, that, that's kind of the, the, the state. Honestly, I feel like that's still where we're at uh, in terms of, of the industry. Like we're, I guess the best, the, the best way I can compare it to is we're like Hollywood was up until the early 2000s. You get one. Like, okay, Eddie Murphy and Beverly Hills Cop. You get one black person. They're not going to have a romantic relationship with a white person. Like, yeah. they, like, and you better be the absolute best to be the one, but that's it. You're getting one, you're getting one person of color, you know, as an executive or even as a manager, or we hired one woman, we did it. Like, no, that's, that's really not, not good enough. We're not at the point where Hollywood is, where you get the all black cast of something that was already successful. When, when you, cause you and I had a similar kind of rise through the space. We both started in retail and then got jobs at brands and started, you know, going to places like, like outdoor retailer. When you first walked as, as a black person walking onto the show at the first the first time, were you expect were you just not even expecting to see anyone else that looked like you? I'm curious. You're, do you did you even have an expectation, or were, were were you even thinking of that, or were you more just like, hey, I'm an outdoor retailer. I've kind of made it. You know, there was a, there was a time when it felt like if you went out to a retailer, like okay, I'm in the industry now. Yeah, um, I I'd say as I uh, I started going to OR in 2009. And as someone who was my first job out of college, like I had never been to a trade show period. So I really had no idea what I was walking into. Um, But the, the feeling wasn't different than any, anything else that I'd experienced. Um, I grew up in the greater Boston area. Um, You get used to being the only person of color in a room in every room you walk into. So it wasn't, it wasn't odd. What was fun though, was that, literally the first show I saw another person of color and was like, Hey, <laughs> Hey, who hey, are you? me too. <laughs> yeah. And like walked over and like the, my, my friend, Mario Stanley, now, now he and I are boys. Like we've been boys forever. And it, it, it became that little, that little thing of like, I see someone, Oh, I, I know a couple of people. Where's the party at? Like, Oh, it's over at the Adidas outdoor booth. Like we're going there. Like, and I would do that at different companies that I had. I put the word out like, Hey, we're, we're serving free beers and food at my booth. Like, get the tribe together, come through. 
Like, and it would just kind of build organically. And I've been missing that as, as OR has declined, as brands all proved that they didn't need a big trade show um, to actually make money. No one's sales were hurt uh, from established brands, I should say, um, that they just didn't need to go. And that show doesn't work if the big brands aren't going. So I missed out on that, that networking opportunity and, and missed that deeply. But when I started my own company, then I actually had the freedom to go do that just in my own backyard. And I've been pleasantly rewarded on, on what I've done uh, in networking here with fellow people of color. So where, where do you, from your viewpoint, where do you think things are today with the efforts to improve you know, DEI in the outdoor industry? Because we know we're going to talk a lot about kind of what happened after 2020 and the, and the movements then. But I mean, it does from it does seem like there's work being done by brands to at least improve representation in the consumer facing marketing. Like it's, I think I remember when we were working together a couple of times, sending you some pictures from like the latest backpacker and being like, well, 67 pages, you know, not a single brown face in here, you know, that kind of thing. And I do think when you, if brands seem at least conscious to make sure that they're marketing towards, you know, a broader audience than maybe they were before. But, you know, does that feel accurate to you? I mean, does that, should that even matter? Because I'm not sure what's going on even behind the scenes. I imagine if you went to a lot of these brands' offices, that's not what you would see still. Yeah, I think, I think we're still, you know, the bumper sticker, uh, surfing sucks, don't do it. <laughs> kind of like the, we know how great it is, but stay out. Yes, that, yeah. that's, that's, I think that motivation, and not, I think I know, because I've, I've been told that I had multiple brands I worked for in the past that like, someone would come and be like, I don't. Why do we want more people doing this? Because people don't. Like if you're if you're a surfer, you don't want one more person in the lineup. If you're a climber, you don't want one more person discovering a crag that you're developing. And I think too many of us, regardless of race or your demographic group that you're within, still feel that. Like I don't want more people doing this thing because more people doing it means it's going to get ruined. Well, in the United States, we have a very big country here. We have a lot of space. And I live in an area where there is a crag um, that is a five minute walk to a train station that is completely underutilized. In fact, I'm working on things to get people of, of the city to use it, but there are so many opportunities across the country that we have to, yeah. it's a mindset change of everyone in an organization, everyone who does these sports is that we need to be creating more advocates, advocates and stewards of the great outdoors, not being stuck in this like, ah, oh, one more person means like that's one less climb I get to make. That's one one more person, you know, eating up that fresh pile that like I want to be turning into. Like we actually need one more person to vote to make sure that we're keeping these these public spaces open and accessible. We need more stewards saying, hey, man, don't litter here. Like, hey, you know, please don't park over here. Like we got this parking or, you know, working on to volunteering for trail maintenance. Like. We need more people helping, not, oh, well, I'll just preserve it for my little group of friends and, and we'll, we'll just keep enjoying it privately or just don't tell anyone. Well, when it comes to the outdoors, the brands are really kind of the driving factor. The industry is kind of defined. I always call the brands like the celebrities of the space. When we talk about the industry, we have to talk about the brands, right? It's like we talk about the NBA, well, we, we're interested in what the, and the players or the NFL, any sport. And uh, in Hollywood, it's the celebrities. Well, in the outdoor industry, it's the brands. Right? They kind of set the they set the market for you know literally and also figuratively in terms of like what we want to all go and do. And when it comes to like DEI efforts, you know, you go back to 2020 after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, all these things that are happening and the social unrest that kind of ensued afterwards. There was a lot of public pledge, pledges coming out of the kind of, as we mentioned, overtly white outdoor industry to, to do better, you know, and increasing the amount of voices being heard, improve internal hiring practices. 
I mean, do you have any insight on how that's all going three years later? Uh, yeah, the, the machine is broken. The, the corporate machine is broken and was never designed to do that in the first place. <laughs> Did it ever work? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, we're, we're at the point where we're asking our lawnmower to, uh, to plow snow. Like it wasn't designed to do that. And we're as a society, I mean, the most trusted institution we have left are private companies. Like let's, let's not forget the point that Previous generations, let's say our, our, you know, our boomer ancestors, right? You could trust your coach, your teacher, your priest, your policeman, you know, your principal, your CEO, like all these groups. And, and that trust has been eroded. Now, maybe it never should have been there to the degree that it was. But right now, what we're left with is private institutions, for-profit corporations. And these corporations will sell a good or service. They'll sell their widgets that they have made overseas. They get shipped to here, sent out to wholesalers, and you get a, a small fraction of that back as your EBITDA. Well, you know, your marketing department gets a couple percentage points, you know, three to maybe 7% of revenue to commit to marketing and then are told like, hey, about 1% or less than that can be spent on DEI. Right. Like the fact that most of that DEI stuff falls under marketing tells you right then and there like, this isn't going to work. Wait, that's that under marketing. They, in most places, it shows up under marketing, not under yes. HR or something like that. No, because as we know, in the outdoor industry, like HR is, uh, oh, so the, the former office manager is now your head of HR. And that, that stuff's getting outsourced more and yeah. more anyways. Like, you know, it wasn't until I worked for a massive company that was worth over a billion dollars did I see a wing of, a, of an office dedicated to HR. And I saw the economies of scale. And when you have teams of people who are incentivized because it is their job to make people happy in their jobs and to continue to develop and move them into different industries within that corporation, like most brands can't afford to do that. So your HR team is, you know, generally the smallest seat at the at the executive table. Um, it is not invited into a lot of meetings if it even exists at all. So most of it comes through marketing and the other departments generally get a pass when it comes to DEI. And that corporate machine, based on that tiny little, you know, 1% of a marketing budget, which is, you know, a fraction of a percentage of the overall revenue of the company, when sales slow down, which they have this year because of over inventory, because the threats of recession, which has not happened, those things get cut. So we didn't set the industry was not set up. Corporations aren't set up to to succeed in DEI from the get go. So there are things that can be done. Um, what I have tried to instill um, at my previous previous companies that I worked at was sign multi year contracts. So if you're saying you're you're about that work, mm -hmm. okay. So whether it's nonprofit or for profit, I can't stress that enough. Like you don't just look at nonprofit companies doing DEI work and say like, well. It, the owners of that company can't can't possibly like get rich and don't don't let them make money like mm, <laughs> like that that's that's a whole other conversation but look at both for and nonprofit companies um, that are doing the work that align with your values um, that fit under DEI and sign a three year partnership commit to three years as a sponsorship or with funding because just like anyone who is looking at their profit and loss statement they're trying to see what are the trends for many years in a row and if you're committing some funds to a company that is doing the real work when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm -hmm. give them that runway, give them three years and have them report back. If you're just saying, Hey, we're going to throw some gear your way for this year and that's it. Like 
you're not doing anything or like, Hey, here's 1500 bucks, like good luck changing the world. And like next year you better come back and beg for it because maybe I'll answer it. Maybe I won't. Um, and, and that's, that's really, I think the way you can commit and make a lasting impact because when that company can count on that support for multiple years and work with you on a plan to show that impact across three years and then change it up. I mean, you can have some, some lifelong, um, partners that are, you know, legacy that you want to keep on for 10 years and tell them that, or you can make people part of your three-year rotational program. Like, all right, cool. Hey, just heads up. Like next year is going to be our last year. Just so you know, you know, we're, we're making sure that, you know, you understand, and then you bring in a new, a new partner to do, you know, continue that work or, or do it a little bit differently. Do you have any even anecdotal stories of successes or failures out of some outdoor brands in the last few years that you kind of like where we're, that are kind of fueling some of these opinions. <laughs> well, not opinions, um, but uh, but uh, strategies. Yeah, I I guess it comes more from friends of mine uh, that are doing DEI consulting work and have seen all that work dry up. I mean, like just like comically, and, and we knew that was happening. I mean, we absolutely knew that was going to happen, and no one was shocked because these are for profit companies. Like yeah. like one of the things I offer is is that. Like I will do a DEI audit for for marketing and can provide a ton of connections um, as well as build a plan. But I know most companies, because they're putting it through marketing, there's a very tiny percentage available. Like they're just not going to commit to that. So I always want to make myself available to do that. Yeah. And I will... I will mention one brand. Uh, they haven't signed a contract, so I'm not going to call a name. But the the um, the woman who runs that brand said, "Hey, I reached out to me and said, look, I know my end goal of what I want to get to is selling more, selling my products to more diverse people. But I think that I have to start by having more diverse people work at my company, which is in a very white place." Um, <laughs> And work at multiple levels throughout this company so that I can then make more diverse products, make my marketing more diverse and have a more diverse thought that we ultimately sell to more diverse people. And I was like, you are asking all of the right questions. Seriously. Like you're, you are in, in this and understand this is a long process and it needs to be happening at multiple levels so that you ultimately get to your end goal. Um, and, and that was uh, very refreshing to hear. And this was a conversation at this year. So this was, you know, and I would say even things were economically even more certain, uncertain than they are today. And when I was preparing for this, it's kind of like you see the phrase DEI training thrown around a lot. And like and I didn't honestly take the time to really go down the rabbit hole of like, you know, presentations or anything like that. But it, it felt yeah, that makes sense. You you need probably especially when you're dealing with people who don't maybe understand the issues, the depth of the issues. You want to make sure you're providing training. And it also felt like a buzzword that like could just be incorporated like, hey, we got we're going to offer some DEI training. And then like, what is that? Is that like, you know, 15 minutes of your onboarding process at your new company? Like, hey, we like all people. There you go. There's your DEI training. Right. So do you have any any insight on DEI training? Is it an effective thing? Like, is it something that should people should be like figuring out or is it just that thing that people say? Um, I, I have been at companies where there were more DEI trainings than there were diverse people that worked for the company. <laughs> so f- fact, how to absolve yourself of your white guilt. Yes. AKA like we, DEI training. <laughs> I've, I've led conversations about Juneteenth or other DEI conversations and had, you, know, you have no, yes. 
But you were marketing. Is this like, hey, let's get the black guy to talk about Juneteenth? Is that what this is? Yeah. Well, and and I will say this is not a problem that only one company that I work for had. (laughs) Absolutely not. I I wish that was the case, but no, absolutely not. Um, Let me talk a sec about being the one. Uh, I kind of talked about that earlier about how, you know, Hollywood used to be that. When you have the one minority, whether they be a woman who women are not minorities in our country, but they are uh, in seats of power um, in corporations um, or a person of color or a person with disabilities. Somehow people with disabilities still get left out of the conversation. And for companies that sell a, a physical good or service, like how can you have no one in a position of power, particularly in your product side that has a disability, like go down another tangent with OXO and how great their products are. And that started with a husband and wife and one of them had a disability and creating great products that actually worked for everyone. Oh, wow. Um, But when you are the one, the only one, there is a pressure and an opportunity given to you to talk about things that don't neatly fit under your department or your job title. Mm -hmm. And not everyone is committed or ready to, to take that on, to do presentations about, you know, whatever um, popular crisis that is happening to their community at the time. But I'm someone who I'm ready, willing and able to, to step up and do that. Um, however, it's never you're never financially compensated for it. Um, you're you're at its worst seen as like, yeah, that's why they hired that person to come here and, and to do these trainings right. um, and, and to, you know, speak on something that no one else in the room feels comfortable asking a question about. And then it opens you up to uh, a conversation later where people are like, hey, I, I have questions like, OK, like you really putting yourself out there. And that's that's a pretty heavy thing to talk about, like. You know, when a black man is killed by the police and you have a white coworker who wants to ask questions and feels bad and, and wants to communicate, like, that's really not your job. I mean, if we if we were to ask, like, hey, um, you're the one woman who works in this company. If anyone has questions about abortion, like, go to Carol. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> right. that's, she didn't sign up for that. Yeah, that's yeah. not her job. Yeah. But you have to be a certain kind of person to, yeah. to do that and to step up and say, yeah, I'm here and I'm here. Because if you really want to learn, if you really want to make things better, if you want to understand how this impacts me and my community, I'm, I'm here for you. But you got to understand that you're, you're not going to be rewarded or seen as more valuable or seen – it just – it doesn't really help you, unfortunately. I attended um, the Men of Color Conference um, la- uh, this – actually, earlier this month in Boston. And um, they had – um, this, uh, this doctor, I got it, Dr. Robert Livingston. Um, and he did an incredible presentation. I would urge anyone, if you want to see some, uh, a really mind blowing presentation, he's got it up on YouTube. Um, but he talked about as a minority working for a corporation, you have three possible pathways, um, uh, for, for working in there. If you, if you're trying to create some change, you can either play the game and playing the game means that you can't be angry you really can't say no. Um, you have to overcompensate and building trust with people who don't want to trust you and, and initially don't trust you. Um, and it takes a, a really long time. And it's, it's basically like code switching. Um, and it, it can take a while and it, it, can, it can burn folks out. Um, and if you're not prepared to bite your tongue, um, if you're not prepared to just get along to get along, um, it can be a really hard path. Your other option is to change the game. Now, change the game, you're going to disagree with a lot of folks. You're going to be the only person in the room who's saying, like, hey, this isn't right. We should do something else. 
that can burn people out a lot faster. Um, it's, you know, you're, you're the contrarian and it's really hard when you're the only one in the room to say, I have a different opinion that that can be on anything. We could just be ordering a pizza. If everyone wants pepperoni and you know, you don't eat pepperoni, you gotta be the awkward person. Like I, I don't want pepperoni. Like this fucking guy. Like, ah, like, and that's just on a pizza. Yeah, right. right, right. Imagine talking about like this campaign is really bad, and and honestly, it's pretty offensive. And that's how things slip through. And if you're not ready to to change the game and be that person who's going to be the contrarian in the room, the unpopular opinion, um, that can you can see the door out really quickly. And then lastly, your your last option is to leave the game and to go play your own game somewhere else. And I'm someone who I've tried all three and I'm, I'm at the third one right now is leave the game. Um, I was doing some networking probably two years ago uh, to get more people of color um, hired at my company. And I was talking to a fellow person of color who she owned her own business. And she kind of stopped me and was like, are you still trying to work for these white people? <laughs> and I kind of chuckled at it. And then I thought and I went. Wow, everybody I know who's a person of color owns their own company or is freelance because you just get burnt out. Yeah. Like it, it's such an unfair burden when you are the only one. Um, and I just I, I have lots of thoughts on that and how companies can avoid that and how companies can can do the real work for hiring practices. Because I think, you know, I, I love what Teresa did for the, the diversity hiring pledge. Um, but I think Teresa Baker. Yes, Teresa Baker, yeah, for yep. the, the CEO Diversity Pledge. But when I read it, I was like, man, companies are ready for this. Like, th- yeah. they're just, they're not. Yeah, But then, you know, she she was following up with companies like, hey, yeah, are, are she's you? she's tenacious. Yes. <laughs> and companies were like, oh, shit, like, we're not, uh, we're not really doing it. Because it, it, it fell down on the company side because we didn't have recruiters of color. Right. Like, I've worked with many recruiters, like, not one person of color, not one person who wasn't in a mountain town. Like, okay, so the population, like, because I looked this, I was like, oh, the population of your town is 98%, 99% white. Like, you're only going to find one kind of person there. Um, and then little to no hiring managers were, were people of color. So you have recruiters who, that's not their expertise. They haven't done it. They're only asking me doing, doing it now. You have hiring managers who are also not people of color. Um, and then you had executives who were like, Hey, go do this. No follow up. Didn't incentivize people. Um, and it's easy for hiring managers to just get uncomfortable and be like, I don't want to hire people that I don't know. Um, and I think it speaks to the larger problem that we have when it comes to hiring practices to hire more diverse folks outside of the workplace. I would like all your listeners to think about this right now. Your friend group. What do they look like? Are they the very similar demographic to you? Like, do you have one person of color who's a friend of you? Do you have their phone number? Have they ever been over to your house for dinner? Do you know their kids' names? Like, when I did an exercise at a previous company asking folks to get people outside um, and to bring someone who was not part of their demographic group, so someone of a different generation, gender, race, ability level, anything, and got crickets on it. Because it did, they didn't of, even try. I, I had several uncomfortable conversations after of like, I don't have someone that I can go take to do my favorite thing that isn't of my exact demographic group. You're like, oh boy. So I think people's personal yeah, but that, lives. Isn't that the challenge? Like, even if like, even if you fall into that bucket, it's sort of like that's that's the point. Like. 
go seek it out. Like go find, like, we, we are so connected in mm-hmm. 2023. There's so a million different ways than when we were young. I mean, I was talking, you know, uh, to my kids this morning who are, you know, uh, aware now of things like Tinder and dating apps and everything else. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, I was stuck to, here's the town I live in and I guess I'll go to a bar and boy, I hope I see someone that maybe I want to talk to and is wants to talk to me. Like, so, and that's just, yeah. I'm talking about like on a personal dating scene. Like for, so if, I'm, if you said to me, especially in the spirit of the exercise, Colin, go find someone who's not like you to bring this thing. And, and I know it's, you know, personality plays into this, but he still would be like, all right, well, let's go through the steps of how am I going to do that? That's the point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I, I had one person um, who actually worked for me who said, you know, I started volunteering um, for, uh, to help teach other women how to do backcountry ski touring. And she met a bunch of women who are not part of our demographic group. I'm like, there you go. She's an expert. She spent her personal time to meet other folks and immediately was like, oh, look, look at all these friends that I can have that are not of my exact demographic group. And it takes that courage and that time to go out and do it. But I think far too many people have kind of, it's easy to sit back and go, well, my group looks like me and therefore I'm just going to keep doing this. But that your comfort level of your own friend group and your own community leads you to hire people who are of that community and like leads you to feel uncomfortable having conversations sure. with people who are not of that community in a workplace, in a hiring opportunity. And so it just, the cycle keeps repeating itself. So we can only blame a, a, a corporation set up so much when people come into that because people are part of a corporation. They have their own biases and their own community that looks just like exactly who they work with. They're not going to yeah. step out of it. So it's not just if you think you're taking a DEI training your company, like that's going to fix it. No, you're going to have to spend your personal time to go out there and, and make your friend group look a little bit more diverse if you're seriously about, you know, hiring and working with other people of, of a different background than yourself. Well, at risk of, you know, you being the one here on this podcast uh, and being, you know, my friend of color who came on to talk about DEI issues, the, the main reason you're here is because you can talk about these things. It's what you're doing now. It's what you're spending your time focused on. So, you know, the industry gets uh, and it deserves a lot of attention for our community, but there's so many things that can be done, like the work you're doing with the city of Malden, right? That, which is which is kind of, I guess, community adjacent. When I think of the outdoor community, I just think of like kind of probably the industry we came up with and the kind of like hardcore little individual groups. But, you know, there's so many more places we can tap into it. So I don't know if you want to talk about Malden or just what First Seed Zone is doing in general, but like, you know, what what is it you have going on that's trying to help address some of the things that we're talking about here on the show today? Sure, sure. Um, you know, and I... I appreciate the platform. I mean, I am someone who I'm used to being the one and I don't want to miss my opportunity to get a platform. You're just a big Keanu Reeves fan. Is really what it comes <laughs> down to. Like you're, you're like, I'm Neo. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be compared compare to that man, <laughs> but, but it's, you know, I, I'm, how dare you, how dare you sell the good name of John Wick? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm ready, willing and able to spend time having a conversation with someone that I trust. And I, I have a very long relationship you know, with you. And, you know, I appreciate what you're doing and, and trying to provide resources because you're not financially motivated to do so or, or being, you know, cut short or silenced from a, a sponsor to do so. So I will always take the opportunity with someone who is, who is trusted and I believe in um, to, to present what it is that I'm working on and solutions. I, I don't want to be someone who, who complains. I'm kind of, I'll be 40 next year. I'm, I'm done complaining without providing solutions. Um, and that's really what, what I came up with for my business. Um, I just saw that the trying to 
complete my own personal and professional mission to get more people outside, to create more advocates for the planet, um, to create more stewards for the outdoors would could only go so far for working for a company that sold, you know, outdoor gear products. Like my budget would always be cut every year or would maybe go up a tiny bit depending on how good a year um, the company had. So um, I built First Seed Sewn around two core principles. The first being supporting black indigenous people of color, BIPOC owned companies. Um, Every company I've worked for has been owned by a wealthy white man. I don't think that that group needs more help, doesn't need my expertise. There's plenty of other people to go sit in my former seat at previous companies to do sales and marketing. So I really wanted to just focus on providing advising strategy and execution to BIPOC-owned companies because that's something that you know I started doing on the side um, through sponsorships that I had that I used my marketing budget to support BIPOC-owned companies. Um, but there were so many conversations I had on just like marketing calls with them. Like, Hey, what do you got going on here? What's going on? What are you doing here? What are you doing? What about this? Have you thought about this? Let me help you with that. And like, I'm like, Hey, my door is open. Anything you need, let me help you with. And I built enough connections, um, that I could do that from the get go. And I have uh, a handful of BIPOC owned companies that I have either on retainer or I do projects for that. I help them primarily with sales and marketing. Um, but from the strategy to the execution, which is usually what's missing. Like you can hire some agency to give you a great strategy, but if you're a one to three person or a five person seed stage company, you don't have enough people to execute on that, that strategy. And you definitely don't, or usually can't afford people that have, you know, 14 years experience in consumer goods and services to, to go do it. Um, so that's the, the first part of my business and makes me feel really good um, doing that. Um, the second part and the way that I feel like I can scale that bigger mission to get more folks outside um, is working with municipalities. So I had started doing some of this work at, at previous companies, um, but I really took the time to go soup to nuts and say, how would we, how do I find the people who would actually be motivated, not just in a financial sense, um, or maybe not even a financial sense at all, um, to get more folks outside? And that's where I found the city council. Um, I'm a resident of Malden, Massachusetts. I've lived here since 2017. Malden's a very diverse city. Um, even for New England, like especially for New England, but when you look, 60% of, of the city is either foreign-born or people of color. Um, over 70 languages are spoken in this city, and this city has rock climbing, mountain biking, bird watching, fishing, kayaking, and it also has two train stops. And I can see the skyline of Boston uh, from the from the third floor of my house. So we have amazing opportunity. But what I experienced in, in the city was that the residents weren't using it. Um, I primarily, because I'm, I'm a talker, um, I'm, I'm someone who I, 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 I put up a bunch of climbs on Mountain Project um, for in the city of Malden. And I monitor on, on there, like, who's, who's using these? And it wasn't people from Malden. Um, it was people from the wealthier towns, the Medfords and the Melrose and the Somervilles. And then when the pandemic hit, wow, like, you know, when, when gyms were, cl- when climbing gyms were closed, like I had never seen so many climbers, like the number of routes that were being ticked and new routes that were going up all from folks who couldn't go to a gym absolutely exploded. So, um, I went to the city council and the mayor, which actually I maybe should back up a step. Um, I, in 2020, um, after the, the murder of George Floyd, um, I was following the uh, eight, eight Can't Wait 
um, kind of campaign and, and making mm-hmm. change to the police use of force document, a document that I had no idea even existed. Um, and that when I learned about it, that the mayor actually has control of the use of force document that the police department must follow. And that's how you uh, escalate a situation that decides when a gun gets pulled, um, when, you know, can can you shoot at someone who is fleeing in a car? Um that that is actually completely within control of of the mayor. I reached out to the mayor, like DM the mayor on social media, and was like, "What are you doing about this? The the use of force policy is not anywhere on your website. It needs to be publicly available." To my shock, the mayor said, "You're right. We'll put it up on the website. Why don't you come on down to city hall and let's talk about it?" And I went to the police chief. I was like, "I want to talk to chief police. Like, I want to see the use of force document. Let's talk about this." Chief, chief police was like, "Come on in. Let's talk." And so I got that conversation, got assigned to a combination of citizen and um, city council board to overhaul the use of force document. We had a public commenting period. We got it implemented and got to work with the chief of police to actually that's currently being rolled out to change the use of force document in Malden. That took three years of work. Right. Um, so for folks who are expecting, you know, I can just take a pill and change it. Like that, that's not, that's not your local government, but that change does happen. Um, and through the connections that I built there, I had a great relationship with the mayor and the city council. And when I went in to uh, get a, a citation, get a little certificate that said, Hey, you worked in this project. The mayor said, so what else are you working on? And that's when I pitched him on the great Malden outdoors. Um, I really wanted to eliminate the adventure gap. Now, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast and know the outdoor industry know, um, you know, my my good friend James Mills coined that phrase, the adventure gap, right? The difference between the percentage of the U.S. population and the percentage of uh, an ethnic group's participation in the outdoor recreation. Like, that's that's a big problem for Malden. Um, and looking at city councilors and a mayor who I pitched them on, look, most of the people in the city are not using the amazing outdoor recreation, regardless of race, just the residents here are not using this awesome outdoor recreation. And only the people that know about it, like myself, because I've been doing this for a while, are using it. All these other people from towns who got money are using it. So let's change yeah. that. And so there wasn't this financial incentive. It was like, wow, so we can make citizens happier and enjoy more of the community. Like that's going to get more votes, isn't it? Yes, it is. But it's also going to make people happier and happier folks, people who are more engaged in the natural environment within their their city or town um, are going to care about it. And it's going to uplift everything here. And so I found I found people who were motivated. I found funding through the city and the federal level that could help pay for it. And now I'm on the part where um, I guess to kind of tell the, the whole campaign is, is really four parts. There's awareness. So I build an advertising campaign. Um, we have photographers. I just um, wrapped up the, the three-part photo shoot with Irene Yee, a.k.a. Lady Lockoff. I had her flying from Vegas. I um, mean, she's a National Geographic photographer. So we got some really dope photos of people from Malden recreating in Malden. And I gave it three tiers. I've got um, the Chinese Cultural Connection and Bike to the Sea organization um, cycling on the Northern Strand Bike Trail. Um, they do this awesome Ride to the Moon, um, Harvest Moon uh, ride. So we have photos of that. So we've got Chinese and Chinese-American Malden citizens, uh, Malden residents cycling here. Then we did some rock climbing photography. We have a couple crags in Malden. Um, and then we did uh, a family hike in the Fells Reservation um, as well. So we have all of those we built into ads run in the city of Malden to tell Maldonians about what we have here. 
Um, and then we have um, that. And this is all coordinated by First Seed Zone. Like this is your your yes. company is coordinating this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is my my, my company, my concept. Um, and then we, we it all drives to a, a website that I'm building for the city of Malden that shows all the outdoor awesome awesome outdoor recreation we have in the city, where to go, the gear you would need to do it, skills that you can learn. Um, local retailers to go get those items or local guides to hire community groups to go with. That's a big problem for folks of like, if I'm the only one, how, how am I going to go? I don't want to go by myself. Right. Um, and uh, activity groups also to go with. So there's the communal aspect of like the, like you say it again, the, the Chinese cultural connection. Like they do tons of stuff in the city. Have they ever gone bird watching? All right, let's, let's take them out bird watching here. Or if you want to join a, a rock climbing group like the Southern New England Climbers Coalition, you can join a, a climbing group, but you can go together and get some folks to go outside. Um, and is this, I, I need you to tell me, is this my blind spot or is this a blind spot? Because I think of all of my engagement in my career, obviously very industry driven, worked at brands. And when I worked at Timberland, they were very, you know, community service generated, uh, focused. And, you know, how do we pay time off to go serve in the community and those things? Some of that was outdoorsy. Some of that was like, you know, urban, whatever. But there was always like that was through the brand. And obviously outside of things like national parks and national public lands and things like that, usually if I was aware of something happening to increase activity outside, DEI related or, or otherwise, it was Conservation Alliance or at outdoor retailer or through the industry or this brand is doing this and Patagonia, yeah, they're, they're environmental, but they're also trying to get people to go outside. I don't recall, I mean, even Miles who came on, you know, the, the other, who's, he's a journalist, right? And who happened to come across this, like he started this passion about hiking in cities and then I was established this hiking trail in Boston and, and is trying to bring this to other cities. He was just in Berlin, like looking at other cities to do urban hiking in. I, I don't recall, and maybe I have, and I just forgot a lot of local municipality engagement to this level. Like, I mean, I'm sure it exists, right? Clearly things happen where they're like, oh, we put up a sign and there's trails here or this thing's happened. But even like mountain bike trail building typically is a person, right? Who gets permission mm -hmm. to go do it. Yep. So is this my blind spot that I'm just not aware of these things happening? Or is this just a blind spot in general that more of this can happen and it's not? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I think no one's put outdoor recreation on this pedestal because it, it exists through the recreation department of any city in town. We have it for basketball. We have it for soccer. We have it for baseball and softball. Like you jump on the, you know, even Malden, I jump on the rec page. They have schedules, links, all the things to right. do to get you in the pipeline. And we don't have that for the sports that are near and dear. Where is that for fly fishing? Where is that for rock climbing? Where right. is that for bird watching? Like we we don't have it. We're building it for freaking pickleball. We can't do it oh, for rock don't, climbing. You you, you <laughs> listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy. It's true though. I mean, what's growing faster than pickleball? It's, you know, I it, and what what can be learned like anytime i see a sport you know i i saw it before with disc golf as well like you know right, cities right, and towns one, yeah. will jump on it we'll put we'll put funds towards it because municipalities want their residents to enjoy the space that they have the more enjoyment yeah. they have the more they want to keep living there the more they feel invested in the community so it 
it's a it's a blind spot, but it's 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 happening right here. Like we just didn't recognize it. Like right. the fact it's, it's it's like a veil. It's like the other just look or just look through, look on the other. It's all right there. And it's been there. It's been it's a well oiled yeah. machine. I mean, I came from traditional sports, right? It's all the stick and ball stuff. And it, it frustrates me that we spend so much square footage of our cities and towns and, and school budgets on producing employees for private companies where far less than 1% will ever become employees of it. Like we've seen it with football, like, and I'm not against sports. I've learned a lot of great lessons from team sports and individual sports, but we as an outdoor industry can learn the lessons of what's happened there. And like, let's just jump on that for outdoor recreation. And we have to build that. It's going to take some time, but it can't be done by companies that sell goods and services like they have a part to play uh, and I'll make a pitch that I am actively looking for some outdoor uh, sponsors because I'm building customers like I am absolutely building customers for the sports that I absolutely love and are on our create in the city Um, and I want to make more of these more customers but i also want to i want to make people who enjoy these sports therefore they can work for these companies therefore they can continue to be customers and then bring their kids into it as well and just get get that cycle going yeah we're not going to get there um relying on for-profit companies that sell outdoor gear goods to do all the work it's just not i mean you said it earlier in relation to dei trainings and things like this and and even the, the efforts after you know three years ago what happened three years ago and I mean, sometimes it does come down to money, right? And it's kind of like these things, it's easy. If it becomes easy, it shouldn't be easy for these, for funds to get cut from a brand for something that they're funding. But also sometimes a brand is that they didn't have a good year, right? It's kind of like, mm-hmm. well, we didn't make any money last year. We can't pay for things that we don't have money to pay for. So doesn't it make sense that, and you knowing that you can solicit, you know, outdoor brand sponsorships, but you also know the bargain you're making when you, when you they do come on board, but doesn't it make sense to sort of start at the municipality, start at the government level almost, and sort of like build it up from there, create demand for the community, not just for outdoor enthusiasts who like to buy this particular brand stuff. Doesn't it make sense to say, hey, we're building the community in the actual community, yes. right? And by the way, in that community, it's kind of almost that it's sol- that all these DEI conversations, some of it gets solved on its own because guess what? <laughs> We're building it in our town. And to your point, Malden, great example, huge, you know, uh, diverse uh, little community there, lots of different backgrounds. And if everybody's being welcomed into this thing that the town is doing, it's going to happen almost naturally on its own and dr- and drive interest versus let's start with the brand that makes the one thing that the one kind of <laughs> group of people use. Yep. And then now we're going to try and say, hey, even though those people use that thing for that one specific thing. Well, no, you should come over and hang out with us too. That's a much harder proposition to make, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and I think working with elected officials whose job it is to serve the public, like that's yeah. not what for-profit companies are there to do. Like, uh, again, I'll go back to the lawnmower being asked to, to plow the snow. Like, that's not what it's made to do. We can yeah. get it there. We can uh, you know, affix a, a blade on the front of it to push some snow if we really get some effort on it. But like, it has a role to play and it has an important role to play in yeah. everything that we're doing. But I think starting with, with the city level, that, that's, that's my plan and how I, I want to scale my business. Well, to kind of wrap it up, you know, now that you're sort of, we kind of, we still have the problem. We, we've identified some big solutions, I feel like. But at the same time, though, the, you know, brands are still stuck with the problems that they have. I guess if you wanted to depart, you know, at least two or three ideas or things that a business or brand could do 
to implement, to honestly improve DEI, and it, what, what would you recommend? Like, what are some things you would just want to leave people with who are listening to this, who are sure. in those positions? Sure. Um, these are these are all, all fast and real things you can do today. So make sure you have diversity in front of and behind the lens. Start with diversify.photo. Great website. You can find diverse photographers in your city. You, you punch in your city and state, they will give you a list of of diverse photographers and their portfolios that you can hire today. So that's one thing you can do right now. Like send that to your head of marketing, like go like push that out there right now. Like these these people are great, they exist, they're in your state or town, go find them. Um, the next thing I would say, I'd reiterate um, making investments in at least three years in your four nonprofit companies for sponsorships or funding um, that will help them uh, really do serious work and not feel like they have to keep competing every year to get your dollar back. Um, provide time for your HR people and hiring managers to network at diverse summits. So mm-hmm. the, the the lazy joke is that, you know, uh, Boston, the Boston area is, is very white and, and, you know, very racist. Um, I've, I can do a whole podcast on why that is not true. Um, but just in, you know, just in September and October, um, I have attended or will be attending the Men of Color Conference, Black at Inbound, the Mass Black Economic Council, Mass Black Ex- Expo, the Mass Dot Diversity Supply Summit, Boston While Black has many events, and Black on Boston, right? There's a ton of events that I have gone to that have hire, like tables to hire people. These are happening in a very, you know, air quotes, white town of Boston. And there's a ton of, this is just in September and October of this year. That's it. So get, provide that time, create that expectation that hiring managers need to be showing up at diverse events like this because they will shake hands, they will meet folks, they will listen to interesting people on panels, and then you can have a table that says, hey, we're hiring. Because the number one question, I guess, oh, where, where do you find these people? They exist. They're holding their own events. You just got to find them and go and go show up. They exist. If they exist in a very white town of Boston, they exist in your town too. Um, this is everyone's issue. This is not just if you're the entry-level customer service person, if you're the hiring manager of a different department who isn't currently hiring, this is everybody's issue. So you got to start with your own friend group. Like if you truly want to have a more diverse company, start, start at home. Do you have, are your kids playing with diverse other people? Are you spending your time with people who are not of your demographic backgrounds? Like go make that change. Start if you need to volunteer, if you need to jump into, you know, your local climbing group and say like, hey, what are we doing to bring new folks into this sport? That's something that I love to do. How can we get new people in as people who don't have the opportunities? Like I get a boat, I got my fishing rods, I got enough money for gas. Like how, how can we get, I'm going to call over to the Boys and Girls Club and like get, get some kids out here. Um, so everyone at every level of a company can help make their own world more diverse and then have the courage to make that question. If you're sitting in that customer service bullpen, and you're like, hey, how come everyone in here is of the same demographic group as me? Why don't we have anyone with disabilities working for here? Because I just got a call and someone was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in a wheelchair and I can't get into this tent. How, how am I supposed to do it? Like, that's a good question. Yeah. Like, why, why is no one thinking of this? So have the courage to ask the question. And then, you know, between executives and boards, like, look around. Like, are you, is it just a bunch of white guys in the room? How do you make space for other people to come in? Have the courage to bring people not from your industry into the room and don't let them be the only one. 
Like you can't, you can't say mission accomplished because you hired one diverse person. We got one woman. We're good. Like, no, not enough, but you got to get a couple people in that room. And like I said, with the pizza thing, if you're, if there's six people all just trying to decide what, what kind of pizza and everyone wants pepperoni, you're the one person who doesn't want pepperoni. It takes a lot of courage to do that and to convince everybody else not to get pepperoni, like maybe to get a combination of things like it's that's really hard to do on something simple. Imagine what it is trying to change a campaign or a product or make a financial decision. So you can't let that person be the only one and, and expect change. Darren, thanks so much for coming on, man. Where can people find you? Give yourself a plug on, on wherever you want to be found. Where do you got? Sure. Check out firstseedsown.com. Um, you can check out what I what I do there on under my municipalities tab. Um, just keep keep focused on what I'm doing, what cities will be next. I got some big plans coming up, uh, some big conversations to happen. And I'm actively looking for some outdoor uh, brand sponsors. We're building customers. You know, we need gear. We need um, guides to get folks out. We're going to be offering community groups free trips to get outside to do these awesome things. And if you're serious about that work and building new customers, we got opportunities for you here. And yeah, buy, buy in, buy in cheap now. Guess we're going. We, we got <laughs> we got some big places. That we're going to take this. Like we're we're going up to the state level and and beyond. So I I want to replicate this program in as many places as possible because. Um, outdoor brands can't do it all on their own, shouldn't be expected to do it on their own. Um, and I, I really want to, I'm serious about that change. All right, man. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. All right. That's our show for today. Big thank you to my guest, Darren Josie. If you want to learn more about Darren or First Seed Sown, head over to firstseedsown.com. And hey, what are your thoughts on DEI in the outdoor industry? Send them to myrockfight at gmail.com. Please take a moment to rate and follow the show. Subscribe to us wherever you're listening to this podcast. You know, five stars would be nice. You know, please, five stars maybe. It really helps us out, so thank you in advance. Be sure to head over to geartrade.com slash blog to read the Rock Fights takeover of Gear Trade's blog. I promise if you like the show, you will not be disappointed. And we'll be back soon with more outdoor content that aims for your head. The Rock Fight is a production of Rock Fight LLC. I'm Colin True. Thanks for listening. And now, as always, to take us out is Krista Makes from Less Than Jake with the Rock Fight Fight Song. We'll see you next time, Rock Fighters.